Hey, buddy, do you want to say a few words about this show before uh, people give it a listen? Yeah, I want to encourage everybody, if they want to uh, to learn more about the uh, Albums Are Dead podcast, to go to albumsaredead.com or visit us on twitter.com slash albumsaredead, on Facebook, again, slash albumsaredead, and uh, where else? We're on Instagram, uh, and if you look for Albums Are Dead on Instagram, how about that? We'll also be there. We're also on iTunes, and... Uh, I think right now that's the only place we are. We're going to try to eventually get to like Google Play, Spotify, all that. But on most podcatchers, if you type in Albums Are Dead, uh, you're going to find us. Tell me, uh, do we make money doing this show? We do not make any money doing this show. And uh, all the songs that we play on the show are for preview purposes only. So make sure to go and support the artists. Even if they don't need support, it's still the right thing to do. Go uh, stream their music legally or buy the tracks because uh, we want to keep above board, folks. All right, folks, uh, with all that being said, I think we should get to our episode. What do you think? Let's do it! Hey, what's going on, you guys? Mr. Winnie1235 back here yet again for another classic album review. Boston. Self-titled. Man, if this isn't a classic, classic rock album, then I don't know what is. None of the songs on this album really need an introduction is what makes this album so interesting. Every single song on this album, I believe, was a single or could have been a single. You got your more than a feeling. Peace of Mind, Foreplay Long Time, Rock and Roll Band, Smokin', the first five songs on this record everybody has heard thanks to Radio, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, and Your Dad's Stereo. Then after that, you only got three more songs, Hitch a Ride, which is another just really beautiful song, Something About You, Let Me Take You Home Tonight. <laughs> it's a great closing track. If you ever have the option, I would definitely recommend you pick it up on vinyl because it sounds the best that way. Or if you don't have a record player, pick it up on CD just because this is just a classic, classic, classic album. It's albums are dead, everyone. Do we even need to do a, a review? I know, right? <laughs> I feel like that covered everything. Well, sounds the best on vinyl. <laughs> uh, awesome. We are uh, talking today about some Bastin on episode 25 of Albums Are Dead with your pals, me, Slip with Five Eyes or Slip. I'm at megamix.com on Twitter. What is up, folks? What is up, everybody? Uh, thank you so much for all the uh, lovely feedback on previous episodes. I, uh, we actually got a piece of feedback today. <laughs> it's like, yes, all, we right. Did. all right. All uh, right. Lou Valcourt, who I worked with in Winnipeg and who uh, I have already pre invited to join us someday when we talk about Appetite for Destruction. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, said basically that she learned a lot about <laughs> John Bovey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the clip we played for Sunday Night Live last week. Ah, we aim to please. <laughs> we aim to please. Amazing. Uh, so this week we are talking about Boston's self-titled album from 1976 called, get this, Boston. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know if you want to go any uh, through any housekeeping stuff before we get started. or. Well, I mean, obviously I have some questions. Oh, do you? 
Yes. Uh, my first question is, um, what made you choose this album? Uh, I wanted to do an album, or sorry, I wanted to cover a band named after your favorite sports town. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Woo! Uh, uh, when I'm Sometimes when I'm looking for albums, you know, I, uh, I, I want to do some heavy hitters. So yeah. I was just kind of looking at some best-selling albums and... Hadn't done anything from the 70s for a few weeks, and I was like, ah, this, this kind of hits, hits on everything that I wanted to do. It's a significant album, uh, a yeah. huge seller, and uh, a little bit of a, a classic rock uh, album that I think a lot of people you know, know about. But uh, I also I just wanted to give the, the record a spin all the way through. So Nice. So that, that's it. No, no other big reason. Uh, what, uh, what's your experience with Boston? The album, not, not the city or the sports teams. <laughs> really, nothing. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I knew of more than a feeling. So I'm, I came in cold. I gave it a listen. Enjoyed it. I gotta say, it was uh, some good, some good uh, classic seventies rock. And um, I'm interested to hear some stories and some uh, some background from you today <laughs> on albums are dead. Uh, I have one other question for you. Oh, go for it. Uh, the band Boston. Have you seen them? I have not seen Boston live. You uh, have not. Okay, I have not. Uh, I guess I had a chance. They Are played... they still together? Well, they played here in Toronto a couple of years ago. Their lead singer. We're going to talk about this. Okay, uh, good. May not be with us anymore. And there's a story. Oh. And there's a story. Uh, okay, so you're going to get into it. Yeah, so they're touring with another singer. But but as we're going to get into, I mean, Boston is essentially one guy. Okay. Uh, so, but anyways, I have not yet seen them. <laughs> have you seen them? I have. Well, yeah, I've seen them like ten times. I've never listened to them, but I've seen them live ten times. No, I've never seen Boston. All right, then. Then I guess uh, I guess you're going to learn a little something today. <laughs> yes, I will. I'm glad that somebody will, because again, as usual, if you are a massive Boston fan, like I. Uh, I, I, you know, I didn't know a lot of the story, so I've learned a lot in doing this. And then uh, I actually posted to uh, Twitter this time. Yes, I, I did a little pre-posting just to say, oh. like, you know, what, what, uh, what does anyone want to comment on the Boston album? And yes. uh, and right away, people were all, "Oh, here's the story," and I'm like, "All right, well, <laughs> I know the the least of anybody about this about this fucking Amazing. album." Uh, but but we had uh, we had Sad Sack Jets fan. Yeah, on oh, Boston yeah. saying, wasn't it done entirely by one dude in his basement? Then he hired a singer and the rest of the band. That story, correct? Yes. Uh, and then uh, Jack Mazieton uh, said, it's a fantastic album, start to finish. Schultz, that would be the dude, was working at Polaroid as a design engineer as he recorded the demos at his house. It was a groundbreaking album when it came out because of the history of its recording then because of its sales uh and uh and but largely cuz <laughs> this album was largely recorded at home nice uh so anyway so a couple of comments two comments so you know we're picking it up right on uh but anyways let's let's uh let's talk about boston shall we yeah let's do it all right boston is an american rock band from can you guess where they're from Somewhere in Massachusetts. Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, right on. <laughs> so close. Uh, who had the most notable successes during the 1970s and 1980s, centered around multi-instrumentalist founder and leader Tom Schultz, 
who played the majority yeah. of instruments on the debut album. The band is a staple of classic rock radio playlists. Uh, of course, they are most known for songs such as More Than a Feeling, Peace of Mind, uh, Foreplay Long Time, Rock and Roll Band, Smokin', all of those, by the way, from uh, the same album, the one we're covering yes. today. Uh, Don't Look Back, A Man I'll Never Be, and Amanda. And uh, before we get too far into this episode, uh, just commenting on the uh, the song Amanda, yes. uh, which is from their uh, third wave album, which was released in 1986. And uh, I just wanted to third, give you... Third stage. Or third stage, third wave. <laughs> get it right. Uh, yeah, I'm going to fact check you because I'm secretly a huge Boston fan. Uh, yes, you are, right? <laughs> no, I'm not. And now, oh no, maybe my uh, my fact is all messed up here. Damn it. Damn it. Well, Come on. Uh, I, I, third stage uh, and Amanda hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 in November of 1986. Yes. And uh, when I looked at this up this afternoon, I was going to tell you that it was a certain number of spots ahead of another artist. But it's not. <laughs> but it's not. I do not see Prince on this list anywhere. So, Well, you've, you've name dropped him though. Yes, so uh, there we go. Our obligatory Prince reference. So there we go. Yes, uh, they that have not that. When you tried to make that organic, it did not work. No, they sold more than uh, seventy-five million records, including thirty-one million in the United States. Uh, the album that we're covering today uh, sold seventeen million. Monster seller. Uh, they have released six studio albums in total, which, for the length of time that they've been around, actually not a lot. Not uh, a lot. Not a lot of albums, right? Uh, so anyways, let's talk about Tom Schultz. Uh, he, uh, is best known again for being the founder of Boston. Uh, he's also the inventor of the Rockman portable guitar amplifier. Ah. Uh, allmusic.com described him as a notoriously unrock and roll figure who never enjoyed the limelight of being a performer, preferring to concentrate almost exclusively on his music and more in recent years, uh, spending, uh, much of his time with charities, and if you see a photo of this guy, I mean he he looks rockish, you know, <laughs> rockish, rockish. I, love it. I mean the 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 guy is kind of um he's kind of an intellectual. It's probably oh, okay. the is probably the best way to uh, to talk about him, you know. I assume he also really enjoys spaceships. Uh, well, uh, I'll talk about the album cover in a second. Uh, he was born in Ohio. Uh, he, as a child, studied classical piano, and he also tinkered with everything from go-karts to model airplanes. Mm. Uh, he was a top student and a member of the varsity basketball team, and he graduated in uh, high school in 1965. Uh, he ended up uh, receiving both a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in mechanical engineering from MIT... And, wow. and as mentioned in our tweet, uh, worked for the Polaroid Corp- Corporation as a senior uh, product design engineer. Um, All right. I'm just going to go straight to an article on BMI.com. Uh, okay. Tom Schultz on the making of Boston. And I'll go through this rather extensively, just just so that I'm not using all of Wik- Wikipedia for, uh, <laughs> for this yeah, episode. Yeah, that was a good idea. All right, so... Uh, before 1976, few people would have dreamed. Oh, by the way, this is written. I should say uh, uh, by Dave Simons in uh, 2005. Few people would have dreamed of making it big with a basement tape. But then again, there had never been anything quite like Tom Schultz growing up in Toledo, Ohio. He could fix almost anything that required power, cameras, toasters, radios, you name it. 
In high school, the six foot five Schultz led his basketball team to the state finals and might have even turned pro had his electronics wizardry not won him an all expenses paid trip to the prestigious Massachusetts Institute of Technology. After graduating with near perfect grades, he went on to work for Boston based research giant Polaroid Corp as a senior product design engineer. The year was 1969, and the 21-year-old Schultz already had the world on a string. Then he learned to play guitar. Nice. Uh, I never thought it would be more than a hobby, recalled Schultz, a classically trained pianist who nevertheless began work on a basement recording facility uh, in his rented home in Watertown, Massachusetts. While pulling in the Polaroid paycheck, he spent his evenings compiling original songs recorded with the assistance of drummer Jim Masid, uh, sorry, with Jim Mastia and uh, a local vocalist named Brad Delp. Before long, Schultz had the makings of an album. Now he had, uh, now he needed a record deal and a band. <laughs> I sent two dozen tapes, uh, tapes to two dozen labels, uh, laughed Schultz, but they were rejected by almost everybody. Undaunted, Schultz plowed ahead and eventually produced a pricey, Eight-track tape machine, uh, which he purchased with funds earmarked for a first home down payment. Eventually, Schultz rang up Delp, so again, his singer, and helped uh, to talk him into returning to the basement for one more round of demo making. Uh, after an initial rejection in mid-1975, Epic Records finally decided to give Schultz and his studio helpers a shot. You'll like this part. <laughs> Yes, but insisted that Schultz re-record the tracks in Hollywood with an in-house producer. Schultz, however, <laughs> believed that his basement tapes were suitable for release, and after one listening, Epic's hired producer, John Boylan, agreed. So, <laughs> they hired a decoy band. <laughs> nice. Uh, they named the people in the band, and basically, <laughs> the band did like recording in L.A. while Schultz remained out in Boston putting the, the, the t tape together in secret. Amazing. Uh, so uh, Schultz says, Boylan's plan enabled me to record alone in my basement studio, uninterrupted and unsupervised, something CBS would never have allowed. Wow. Uh, even with major label funding now available, Schultz insisted on keeping things cheap. The now famous intro to More Than a Feeling was performed on Delp's cheapo Yamaha 12-string acoustic. Uh, and they and you'll you'll know this reference. Using a sample, or sorry, a simple EVRE16 dynamic microphone. Oh yes, those are those are quite quite uh, quite rudimentary. Yeah, and then uh, the drum tracks were cut using nothing but a handful of sure SM57s. Oh. Wow. Right? Right. Schultz says, and you'll agree with this, why do everything on expensive equipment, which can turn out to be a pain in the butt? My only objective was to have good sound in the end by any means, right? Right. So that's why he would use those, those, uh, that equipment. Can, uh, I, can I drop in a little factoid for you? Do it. That um, in his uh, basement space, the studio was, uh, you know what it was called? What? Foxglove. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Great name. <laughs> so good. Uh, weeks later, Schultz escorted the finished tapes out to L.A. where Delp applied the final vocal overdubs. A couple of them he couldn't do because he was having trouble with his voice in the smog note, Schultz. So we went back and finished them up in my basement, and I had to cart the tapes back to L.A. and dub them in a two-inch uh, from another analog tape, which was pretty uh, unusual back then. So anyways, uh, there's some background on uh, the recording. All right. But essentially, I mean, the simple story is 
pretty smart dude, gets into music, makes his own studio, and then records album in secret. That's so great. Uh, you asked about the album cover. Yes. Uh, so I have an article here called about that Austin, uh, Boston album cover. This is written by Joe Bond on, uh, just JoeBond.com. It's, it's a blog. And I do know that the spaceship is a guitar. So I do, I do know that. <laughs> uh, so let's see here. Uh, where do I go? Here we go. So where did that whole Boston space look come from? It's from, uh, Paula Scherer, yes, the same person who's won hundreds of design awards, I knew that, uh, is yes. a partner at Pentagram and educator at the School of Visual Arts. In the world of graphic design, Paula Scherer is known for creating unique typography artwork. She designs posters so bold, you want to read it all. They, give, they have some examples on the blog that look pretty good. Um, as the art director at CBS Records in 1976, the assignment to create a cover for a new band called Boston eventually fell to her. Lots of versions had been rejected by the band based on puns using lettuce or cream pie with the word Boston oh. attached to the image. Oh, my God. Uh, Boston, uh, or sorry, uh, guitarist Tom Schultz wanted the cover to be tech-like as he was an MIT grad and producer engineer at Polaroid. <laughs> it's cyber. I need it to be future cyberistic. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's see here. So the story essentially that they end up doing, because if you see the album cover, you see these uh, UFOs blasting yes. off from Earth, and the Earth has like this big like blast kind of drawn around it. Yeah. So the idea is that the Earth is blown up, yes, and spaceships are escaping into orbit. There were supposed to be many Guitar City spaceships leaving the planet, labeled London, Paris, Rome, and Boston. Okay. And Boston was supposed to be the big one at the front. And eventually they just took the names off the other ships. And that's why you have Boston. So Boston is a guitar city nice. blasting off from Earth as Earth uh, explodes. Excellent. So there you go. That is the Boston album cover. Yes. Um, I'm going to talk about the album quite a bit, uh, you know, obviously uh, shortly. But I wanted to... Uh, Talk about kind of what happens to Boston over the years. Okay, so, yes, please. As we mentioned, uh, there are six albums that are eventually put out. Uh, but the third album that was that came out in 1986 was actually a long, like a long delayed album for okay. many, many years. And can you guess why the album was delayed? Um, the the band couldn't get along. Uh, nope. Guess the second one. Well, they, they couldn't get along with someone. <laughs> they had I don't know. Give it to me. They had problems with the label. There you go. Uh, this is from the Los Angeles Times Short Takes from March 25th, 1990. Uh, the article is called Leader of Boston Wins Lawsuit. Yes. Tom Schultz, leader of the rock group Boston, did not breach a contract with CBS Records when the group failed to deliver a record album, a federal jury has ruled. Ending a seven-year court battle, the U.S. District Court jury also ruled on Tuesday that CBS Records did not engage in a conspiracy against Schultz when it tried to <laughs> stop other record companies from signing him. 
All right. CBS Records sued the entire band in 1983, charging it with failing to deliver the requisite number of albums under a 1976 contract. Charges against other band members were dismissed. The band's first two albums, released in the 1970s, Boston and Don't Look Back, went platinum. CBS expected a third album by 1981. Despite promises by Schultz to CBS executives and rock magazines that the third album was imminent, no record was made. CBS suspended Schultz's royalties in 1983, then sued. Lawyers for both sides said the jury apparently believed Schultz's argument that the delay in producing the third album was rooted in the creative process. I feel great, said Schultz, the group's founder. The jury somehow picked up that I don't care about the money. So, All right. as usual, drama uh, yes. with the record label. But <laughs> the drama can't compare to what I'm about to read to you. And okay. I, I say this with an upbeat voice, but this is actually like not funny whatsoever. Okay, let's, 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 let's hear it. Uh, let's talk about uh, Brad Delp who uh, was the singer for Boston. Uh, okay. And Brad Delp actually uh, took his own life in 2007. Oh, wow. Uh, here is the story. It's, uh, this is a story from Boston.com. Um, Singer's last days detailed in court papers. This came out in 2012. Ah. <sighs> Brad Delp was her best friend, someone she could turn to after a bad date, a breakup, or just a tough day. And for nearly two and a half years, Meg Sullivan also lived with the famed singer for the band Boston, staying in a spare bedroom at his house. Uh, by all accounts, the arrangement was platonic. Uh, Pamela Sull Sullivan, Meg's older sister, was Delp's fiance. Okay. But the relationship between Delp and the Sullivan sisters took a dark turn on the morning of February 28, 2007. That's when Meg Sullivan discovered a hidden camera that Delp had placed in her bedroom. Oh my god. She confronted Delp and fled to her boyfriend's place, marking the start of a personal crisis that appears to have dominated the last nine days of Delp's life. On Jesus. March 9th, Pamela Sullivan found Delp, 55, dead in his bathroom, the deeply depressed singer had killed himself by lighting two charcoal grills and letting the carbon monoxide overtake him. Jesus. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's also more to this story. Uh, following Delp's death, Harold Stories quoted, uh, quoting an interview with Delp's former wife, Mickey Delp, uh, had material from unnamed sources that seemed to suggest that Schultz was to blame for Delp's suicide. A, oh, week, God. a week after his 2007 suicide, the Herald's inside track writers, and they give the names, quoted Mickey Delp in a piece with the headline, Pal Snub Made Delp Do It, Boston Rocker's Ex-Wife Speaks. They wrote about the conflicts between Schultz and the past band members and stated that Mickey Delp said her former husband was upset over the lingering bad feelings from the ugly breakup of the band Boston over 20 years ago and driven to despair by recent changes in the group. It was, the Herald reported, the last straw in a dysfunctional professional life that ultimately led to the front man's suicide. So that's how, <laughs> that's why I haven't seen this version of Boston and never will. Uh, so that, that, yeah, that, that little second part of that story is strange. Well, okay. I mean, you, you know, obviously I know nothing from what I, other than what yeah. I've read in the last uh, week or so. Right. But it feels like, you know, you've got, you've already got kind of the seeds of, of issues. Oh, yeah. Uh, -huh. uh, with, with the band stuff and, and from everything I've read, 
it, it did weigh heavily on the guy. Yeah. But I mean, obviously that last thing is, is gonna <laughs> like, exactly. It's going to really push things over the edge. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, if it's true, it's like, well, you had, you had bigger problems. Like you yes. clearly had bigger yeah. problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyways, that is some background into this album and into Boston before we get into the tracks. Uh, I'm just going to well, play. It, you know, oh. it appears, it appears that, uh, Schultz then, uh, sued yes. for defamation and lost. So interesting. Yeah. So yeah, he, he, he was unhappy obviously with the stories that came out that he was responsible yep. for this. Right. Uh, so they lost it. Did uh, not win those suits. So interesting. Yes, that is correct. Sorry. Yes. Good fact. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Uh, so, um, I'm going to play a quick, uh, quick, uh, clip on the, uh, recording, uh, of the album and then we'll get into the tracks. Here we go. Yeah. In 1976, a band named Boston had a hit single called More Than a Feeling. What no one knew was that Boston really wasn't a band at all. Boston was the result of me tinkering in the basement with my multi-track recording studio it was a a really personal endeavor i work in my own space my own time put a rhythm guitar part on and then another one and then a bass track keyboards then i uh, called brad delp to see if he wanted to sing the vocals which thankfully he did So I basically threw a band together to be able to play the songs live. Not only didn't the record company, uh, not only were they not aware that I was making a record in my basement, but they never became aware that the record that they were selling millions of copies of was made in a basement. You know, good for that dude. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So... Uh, the album is released by Epic Records in August of 1976 and sold extremely well, becoming the best-selling debut album in the U.S. at that time. I believe it was uh, surpassed uh, in the 90s by Hootie. Oh, my. <laughs> uh, Boston style was appropriated by label executives and imitated by bands to recreate radio-friendly corporate rock, the creation of which the band is also <laughs> accused of. Uh, uh, the album singles most notably more than a feeling and long time were both am and fm hits and nearly the entire album receives constant rotation on classic rock radio and i mean the first five tracks absolutely you hear all the time on radio so it's interesting that you that that people like you know the whole corporate rock tag considering how the album was made i know right completely uncorporate way it's kind of like how you know if you just thought about it and you heard that you you could dismiss kind of that that whole theory right off the top. Exactly. I mean, it's, I mean the sound, fine, but this was definitely organically created. Uh, so shall we give it our, our classic run-through? Of course. Uh, of track by track. All right, well, let's go with track one, which we've already heard quite a bit about. Yes. So uh, as it rolls in, uh, this is more than a feeling. Uh, yes. Written by Tom Schultz. Uh, it was released uh, as a single in September of 1976. 
it reached uh, number five on the Billboard Hot 100. None of these songs reached number one. Their only number one single is, again, 1986's uh, Amanda. Yep. Uh, in 1999, VH1 named it the 39th best hard rock song. Mm. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I mean, you know what? It's got, it's got a bit of an edge. I'll admit. Uh, it was also ranked at number 500 on Rolling Stone's 2004 list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. When they updated their list in 2010, it was dropped. <laughs> that's like that's like when you would open up uh, PWI 500 and go look who's listed 500. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's some it's some some geek wrestling and fucking look at that. And you, you also managed to thread in wrestling. Of course. Uh, I like this fact. The book of rock lists suggests that the chorus riff may itself be a subtle homage to the Kingsman's classic Louie Louie. Oh wow, there's a stretch. Uh, let's go over, of course, to a few of our favorite sources. Yes, yes, please. Song Facts says, by Schultz, he said, It was written about a fantasy event, uh, but it's one that almost everybody can identify with, of somebody losing somebody that was important to them, and music taking them back there. Uh, the single version runs at 3 minutes and 25 seconds. The album version runs at 4 minutes and 44 seconds. The Dream Girl, Marianne, was based on a real person. This is this is interesting. She was my older first cousin who I had a crush on when I was ten. <laughs> yes. Uh, so there you go. Uh, I ran into her many many years later, and she was very annoyed at me for mentioning that she was my older cousin. And I thought, is that why? <laughs> uh, but even better, of course. Uh, let's go to uh, songmeanings.com. Yes, please. Uh, user Caitlin42106 says, This song is great. It is one of my favorite Boston songs. I'm only 14, but yet I love Boston. I think that all the rap and hip-hop stuff is overrated, and I think there should be some more good rock songs like this. Boston <laughs> rocks. Well, why don't you go have a listen to uh, Smells of Teen Spirit, and you'll get this. <laughs> it's a very similar feel. Cladow1956 uh, says, this song means nothing to me, but it does to my husband, who made a point of pointing it out to me. I know who Marianne was, and I know what she means to him. I will always be a mere second best. Well, guess what? He closed his eyes, and I slipped away. <laughs> yes. Uh, one I more. They quote the song. <laughs> one more thing I should mention. Um, I was going to read. I have a. I have a copy of the uh, the vinyl here in my hand right now. Nice. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming this is an, obviously an original press. I don't know uh, what the pressing is. Uh, but it has this long, like on the back, it's got the track listing. Yeah, like a story, right? And then it's got this long story about like basically how the thing was recorded. But what I've gathered is that Delp takes like a lot of pride in being like, we didn't use synthesizers or any, uh, you know, any bullshit, <laughs> you know? So they're like Rage Against the Machine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Same. they want us to know how legitimate they are. Yes. All right. Uh, track two. Well, before, now, oh. before you go to track two. Yep. A little, a little known fact. Yeah. About this song, used in uh, 2008 by Republican presidential candidate Mike Huckabee to promote his campaign, and he was asked to stop using it. <laughs> I would fucking hope so. 
I'm I'm wondering when the Rolling Stones are going to stop uh, try to get Trump to stop using their fucking song. Yeah, I don't know. Probably Maybe won't. More money for them. <laughs> they don't care as long as you get the money. Oh, but the money, brother. Uh, track two. All right. Uh, so this is Peace of Mind. Yes. Again, written uh, by Schultz by himself. It was the final single, number three, from the album and peaked at number 38 on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1977. Uh, again, as with some of the other songs on this album, receives su- substantial radio play uh, and has been described as a rock radio staple. And I would call this my favorite song from this album. That's a good song. Uh, there you go. Fucking pipes, I gotta say. Duke could sing, eh? Oh my god. Uh, this uh, and then another uh, one of my favorites also to sing in uh, rock band. Oh, I'm sure you could belt that shit out. Uh, I try. <laughs> uh, so from the Wick Guy, the song is about the people Schultz worked with at Polaroid Corporation before getting his recording contract, and about Schultz's lack of interest in climbing the corporate ladder into company management. <laughs> I don't need the corporation, man. I'm going to play my guitar, dude. Uh, Rolling Stone album guide critic Paul Evans called Peace of Mind a satisfying, if similar, follow-up to More Than a Feeling. Scott Tatey of the Beaver County Times described Peace of Mind as one of the songs that helped set the foundation for classic rock radio. Man, Beaver County Times, they're just digging down real deep on the Wick guy. Uh, Over at songfacts.com, Boston founder Tom Schultz Wrote this song while he was working as a senior engineer at Polaroid, so we talked about that uh, as well. Uh, oh, sorry. Let's go to <laughs> let's go to well. Let's read the from songmeanings.com. I want to read okay. the the uh, stuff first, and then I'll tell you who said it. Okay. As well as this being excellent, uh, or sorry, one excellent classic and unique hard rock band with a very unique sound. This particular song describes my philosophy of life exactly. My peace of mind is in that I keep my life simple. I try to minimize my debts and other unnecessary complications. I've got, all caps, nothing to prove to anybody. No no interest in the rat race, uh, being better than or having more than the next guy, etc. That's all utter nonsense that everybody is conditioned to grow up believing. Fortunately, I have a job I do enjoy. I don't kiss ass. I do what I'm good at and enjoy it. In other words, I just live my life for myself. And my loved ones, of course. Great music with excellent and insightful lyrics indeed. That was written by Metalman6969. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and he's got nothing to prove. Oh, he's got nothing to prove. The song... You know, people who, type, people who, type, who take the time to type that out absolutely have something to prove. <laughs> I just... When I listen to this song... Like, I love this song. But I don't listen and go like, Oh, this speaks to my life. <laughs> Yeah, but you're a you're a fucking you're you're all about being corporate. <laughs> I'm fu- fucking Mr. Suit and Tie. Yep. Uh, so I've moved on to the uh, third track, which is actually uh, two songs in one. I love these uh, slash titles. We've got four play forward slash long time. 
uh, written again uh, exclusively by Schultz. Uh, and it is their second single. Uh, it combines an instrumental introduction foreplay right. yes. to the main song, Long Time, which you heard in the intro and we'll start playing uh, shortly. Uh, yeah. And it is uh, generally played as one on the radio and listed as one track on the album. Long Time peaked at number 22 on the Billboard Hot 100 the week ending March 5th, 1977. But in Canada, it reached mm. number nine. All right, Canada. I know, right? We're the best. Like, really. Um, again, more from the Wickeye. Uh, foreplay is a progressive instrumental prelude, primarily consisting of rapid triplet uh, arpeggios on a Hammond M3 organ. Con right. By the way, contrary to popular belief, the song was not recorded on a B3. No, okay. Just I, I was wondering that when I was listening. <laughs> Uh, there's some notes here about the song in popular culture, but I, uh, apparently it's a playable track in rock band. And now I wish that, uh, I'd known that, but anyways. oh yeah, that right. Yeah, I know. Right. All right. Let's go over to, you can pull, uh, out, you can pull out your, uh, your, your Hammond, uh, B4, uh, rock band, uh, <laughs> organ, uh, M4, M4 and <laughs> play along, <laughs> uh, over to Sog facts. Uh, they talk about the B3 organ riff again over here. Uh, you'll like this. Uh, you're going to like this one. Foreplay was written in 1969 and was the first song recorded for Boston's debut album. The title is a sexual reference. Ooh. Uh, songmeetings.com user Corn uh, Slice, Q-U-O-R-N Slice. Okay. Uh, and talking about this part, I absolutely love the transition from foreplay into long time, where it's just the keyboard. Mm -hmm. Then the drums start building up. Then when it's at the climax, the lead comes in with that epic lick here. That is a lick. That's a fucking lick right there. Uh, Plasma HD says in all caps, awesome triple exclamation point. Let's see Green Day try this. Wow, that's a fucking challenge right there. <laughs> Just, I know, laying down the gauntlet. We'll, I'd love to see Green Day try that. That'd, we'll, be, that'd we'll, be amazing. Will Billy Joel read this and and do something? It's been yes. it's been 13 years <laughs> since this comment was made, and I have not heard a Boston cover by the band yet, so we'll see. Uh, okay. Uh, Ratman underscore 84 says, a flawless classic. They don't make them like this anymore. They'll be playing this on the radio centuries from now. <laughs> so i um i know a, a, an author that i think both you and i used to like um i still think is okay but um agree is you know gets a little eh, is uh, uh chuck klosterman yeah uh wrote in one of his books about like what music would actually endure like what would people listen to from our time you know yeah. 300 years from now yeah. And, and made a good point. He's like, you know, there was a lot of music like at all times, yet today we only talk about like Beethoven, right? That's right. So I don't know what the answer to that is, but I'm going to guess it's not Boston. I, I, I will tend to agree with you. <laughs> so anyways. But anyways, this song, fantastic. Yeah. Good track. Uh, and that actually ends side A. It's only three tracks. All right. Uh, this is a tight album. It's uh, eight tracks, and we're done, right? So, side yeah, A. Uh, 
Uh, let's go to uh, side B, and here's how we start things off. You know what? Like, I, I don't mind the song, but I'm I'm really not a fan of of bands writing about themselves and the fucking road, unless it's unless it is the road by Tenacious D. Well, yeah, of course. Uh, um, I you know it's got a you know it's uh the, the braggadocio. <laughs> so this is a rock and roll band again. Schultz wrote this one solo. Uh, he wrote it in early 1970s. Uh, the drum parts of this and other early Boston songs were developed by Jim Mazdia. So, yeah. So he wrote this before he was in a rock band. Well, I'm going to talk about bars and, and practicing on the street. I'm going to talk about what it's about in a second. Okay. Uh, apparently, Boston consistently opens with rock and roll band while playing live concerts. Okay. Uh, well, that makes sense. Here we go from Song Facts. The song is not about the band. Okay. Many people assume it is because the lyrics are in the first person and they sing about being from Boston, which they are. Yes. Uh, Tom Schultz wrote the song based on conversations he had with Jim Mesdia, a musician who has played with many local bands in Boston. Mesdia was always telling Schultz about struggling bands trying to get signed to record contracts. Okay. So it's not about them. It's inspired. It's not about them. So it's a little bit of a trick. Yeah, even better. Boston had quite the opposite experience of the group they sing about here. Rather than yeah. paying their dues on the road, Boston released a well-produced album that was an instant hit. They did not yep. tour before releasing the album. <laughs> exactly. There you go. That's what I was wondering. Go to songmeanings.com. Ye uh, dash interpreter said, this is the actual story of how the band got started. Nope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. They're, they're, of course, on song uh, meanings are then many people who are like, actually. Actually. Well, and you know what? And rightfully so. <laughs> You're going to comment, like, at least do, you know, the modicum of research. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Rock and roll band. All right. Uh, this, this, honestly, like, I know people like this song. This may be my least favorite song on the album. Smoking. Uh, you know, honestly, it's just fucking hokey. So this is the first uh, song that is a collaborative effort between Tom Schultz and Brad Delp. Uh, it was one of the songs Schultz started writing in the early 1970s. Again, all a lot of these songs are from uh, many years. By the way, they used to have a band called Mother's Milk. Nice. Uh, so there you go. Uh, writing in 1976, uh, Kevin Smith of the Arizona Daily Star, so not Silent Bob, described <laughs> Smokin' as a radio standard. Uh, Music Tap's review of Boston noted that Smokin', uh, as one of the few songs from the album uh, to become an FM radio stable, helping the album sell 17 million copies. I guess that's true, but... <laughs> sure. Scott Tady of the Beaver County Times... <laughs> yes! Describes Smokin', the rock and roll band, and Boston's first four singles as having helped to set foundation for classic rock radio. So same as before. <laughs> there you go. Uh, let's... Oh, actually, the new Rolling Stone album guy called Smokin' a cleaned-up boogie cloud, uh, crowd pleaser. Yes! 
And Schultz described the beginning of the song as being a vaguely ZZ Topish boogie. I would agree wholeheartedly with that. Yeah, it's got that. It's got that. Uh, it's got that feel. Um, what I did see when I was scanning about this. Uh, that this song appears on the WWE 2K18 soundtrack. Oh, wow. <laughs> I should get that game. Yeah, you can listen to Smoke Him while you create wrestlers. Uh, songmeetings.com says, This song is about having a good time listening to music, but it can be interpreted as being about marijuana with lines like, Keep on token. <laughs> the song also clocks in. At four minutes and 20 seconds, which is a time associated with smoking pot. Well, you know, there you go. I only took one comment from songfacts.com by Mink Oil. Says, you'll like this. Nice song. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, so there you go. That is smoking. Any other thoughts on smoking? No, the guy the guy that talked about it being about, uh, about hashish is, is not wrong. I mean, I just scanned the lyrics, and yeah. <laughs> it's all about the Don Hashish. Don Hashish. Uh, here we go. Speaking of uh, Billy Joe Armstrong, we got Hitch and a Ride. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so Hitch a Ride, written by yep. Tom Schultz by himself. The original title of the song was San Francisco Day. That is basically the only fact that I can get from songfacts.com. Mm -hmm. But I do have a couple of comments on song meanings. Uh, Baby Ruth 412 says, mm. I was thinking about Brad Delp's death and I listened to the song again and then it hit me. It's a foreshadowing of his suicide. I never Written by the other guy. Written by the other guy. <laughs> I never thought of it that 30, way before. 40 years earlier. Okay. I never thought of it that way before, but it's uncanny. I love the song, though. It can be a, a simple desire to escape the mundane world, uh, uh, mundane or the world's injustices. Either way, it's a powerful song. <laughs> so it's either about getting away from rather, uh, you know, injustice or a fake story about someone's suicide that wasn't written by him yeah. 40 years earlier. I said earlier. 40 years, it was 30 years earlier. 30 years earlier. So, yeah. Yes. Uh, um, I would like to say that this uh, this song features uh, the greatest lyrics of all time. Mm -hmm. Life is the it, life is like the coldest winter. People freeze the tears I cry. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like it was written in front and, and read in front of a dumpster. <laughs> uh, user Kurt um, uh, Kurt Amuse says. I can't agree more with all of the above except for the suicide foreshadowings because Tom Schultz is credited with writing it and not Brad Delp. Uh, and Delp. And he also calls Brad Delp one of the finest rock and roll voices ever. Which, yeah, hey, I'll go with yeah, that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, so there's Hitch a Ride. Uh, we are now two songs away. Let's go to Something About You. Mm -hmm. uh, which has no facts. <laughs> No, no. Uh, I, I'm looking desperately for anything. Written by Schultz by himself again uh, from songmeetings.com. Uh, singer Pete Yorn, or sorry, singer, user Pete Yorn says, I love Boston. Cruising in Boston. Nothing better to me. And I thought, are you from Winnipeg? <laughs> yes. Uh, Yankees. Oh. Interesting here, Yankees fan 630, a fan of Boston. Hmm. Ooh. Uh, there's quite a bit here. Says, 
This is one of those songs that I could see myself dedicating to a girlfriend or wife in the future on her favorite radio station. Being the shy and quiet type, I can relate to Delb's lyrics. Uh, well, it's not... Oh, well, I mean, it's Schultz's lyrics. It has a pretty straightforward meaning. The girl, let's call her Amanda, doesn't even oh have to say... Oh, my God. Doesn't even have to say anything around, let's call him David. Her mere presence is capable of bringing out the best of David and triggering a feeling he's never felt uh, before deep within his heart. Though David struggles with his emotions, it just goes to show that no matter how much of a ladies' man reputation that's burned it on your shoulders, there will always be that one girl who can bring you to your knees. I, I now know why there's no current girlfriend or wife. <laughs> that's, that's just mean. <laughs> wow. You should apologize to Yankees fan 630. <laughs> there we go. Uh, and now we... Good song. I, you know, like, it's... Uh, I mean, the, 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 the last uh, few tracks on here are unheralded. They're not singles, but uh, fairly solid. Uh, nice closing track here. We finally end things off with Let Me Take You Home Tonight. This is the one song on the album exclusively written by Brad Delp. Okay, yeah, yeah. And was the only track on the album that he did that uh, Schultz did not produce. The record company sent the other band members to Los Angeles to record some songs for the album, and this is the only one they used. Schultz added in his parts later. Okay. Kind of, kind of, you know. Yeah, and this is this is like big time, like classic rock sound. Oh yeah. Uh, user Laws five eight eight on songmeanings.com says, "This is the only song written by someone other than dot 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 shit. What's his name? Dot dot dot. It was instead written by the singer." And I thought, <laughs> why would you write your train of thought in trying to remember? <laughs> I know it doesn't make any sense. You can just go look it up. Uh, <laughs> Christ. Uh, user Floyd Pink says, <laughs> "Yes, totally underrated. Personally, it's my favorite Boston tune. Nothing beats Brad's voice right there in the beginning. It's so smooth and mellow. I can't believe it isn't on their greatest hits album. Oh, well, that's why a true Boston fan gets the first album first and foremost. <laughs> I love true fans. You know how much <laughs> I love true fans. Yeah. So if you're a real Boston fan, you'll get this one. Yeah. Uh, and there you go. That's the uh, closing to the album. Uh, one little uh, fun fact about uh, Boston and their singer, Brad Delp. His, uh, his parents were French-Canadian immigrants. Oh, bonjour. Oh, oh, oui, oui. Bonjour, monsieur. Oh. Hello. Uh, not many reviews out there on this album, but I did oh. manage to grab a couple of them. Uh, one from the Beaver County Times. <laughs> I, I should have checked. I did not. Uh, we do have allmusic.com uh, giving this four and a half stars. Uh, the user rating average is also four and a half stars. Uh, the review by Vic Iyengar. Boston is one of the best-selling albums of all time, and deservedly so. Because of the rise of disco and punk, FM rock radio seemed all but dead until the rise of acts like Boston, Tom Petty, and Bruce Springsteen. Nearly every song on Boston's debut album could still be heard on classic rock radio decades later due to the strong vocals of Brad Delp and unique guitar sound of Tom Schultz. 
they then talk about the story of him recording in his basement, and then they say, Boston is essential for any fan of classic rock, and the album marks the reemergence of the genre in the 1970s. So that's allmusic.com. Uh, Robert Criscow of The Village Voice. All right. He graded this one a C. Not good. And uh, he says... When informed that someone had achieved an American synthesis of Led Zeppelin and yes, all I could do is hold my ears and say, gosh, <laughs> you know, what a saucy prick. He's so saucy. You know, just like, come on, dude. Uh, let's go to um, some people who don't like this so much. Okay. We've got our friends over at uh, Amazon.com. Okay. Giving a couple of one star reviews. Ooh. Uh, let's see. So again, as usual, a lot of them are because the, uh, the album is fucked. <laughs> like the, you know, they got the record and it's warped and blah, 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 yeah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Astrid Kwan, uh, gave it one star with the title one star and okay. said, my music taste has changed. I could not stand listening to this noise. <laughs> John Layton, this is in 2000, gives one star. How do you call this noise? Like, it's kind of the furthest thing from just noise. <laughs> that is correct. Super accessible, like soft rock. Come on. Like, it's it's like the definition of easy listening, right? Yeah. Uh, John Layton gives us a word of advice. If you're one of those people who is just getting into music and has no idea where to start, this isn't it. <laughs> Look around for something else. There are better albums than this one. In fact, most albums are better than this, so it's good to get off on the right foot. Bands named after cities usually aren't very good. Wow. That's uh, that's strong words. Uh, I would disagree. Have you listened to Chilliwack? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, Toronto? Exactly. Um, (laughs) User Dan (laughs) says his comment... Or his title, More Than a Bowel Movement. (laughs) This album is like a whole truck of chunky poo. I don't know why I bought this album. Afterwards, I was so ashamed that I let my dog chew it up. Why are you buying albums without even sampling them first? (laughs) Like, are you 12? I have no idea. Is this this like pre-1997? <laughs> yeah, like you have every opportunity to give it a listen. There's no reason why you should be buying something you don't know. Like, are you point. also like what's the scenario here? Like, are you in the are you in your Best Buy in the States? And like uh-huh. this album is clearly gonna be sitting like, you know, it, it they're not always just gonna have it in the shelves, they're gonna have it on display, right? Because they're gonna put it on sale on yeah, CD. Be, yeah, exactly. For seven ninety nine, and you're gonna be like, Well fuck, there's a UFO on the cover, like that's all I need to know. I don't. I don't understand. <laughs> At this point, anybody buying music uh, without hearing it willingly, like just taking chances, you really have no reason to complain. Uh, the only other thing I have, there's not a lot of details on the tour, but indeed, uh, as noted earlier, uh, the tour does start in 1976, so there is no touring that okay. happens before this. Uh, the first date. Uh, is December 6th, 1976. And by December 18th, 1976, they are playing a set at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. 
All right. So they're immediately like big. We're not doing clubs. Playing playing arenas right away. Yeah, we're playing arenas right away. And anyways, uh, that's it. That's all I got. Boston. Good stuff. Uh, do you have any uh, any closing? Uh, you thoughts? know what? Uh, it was it was a, a nice, gentle, easy listen. I gotta say, uh, I kind of enjoyed it because I hadn't heard it before. Um, would I would I would I stock my shelves with it? Probably not. But uh, it was it was fine. It was fine to stream. It was good. Uh, you can find it everywhere. The, there's millions of copies of the vinyl. Like I, I picked mine up before they really, you know, blew up the record prices again. So I probably bought yeah. this for like two bucks. Nice. But you can get a copy somewhere used for probably under ten bucks if you want it on vinyl or stream it legally. Because uh, you yeah. know, you know, the bands need the money, even if they don't. <laughs> even if they don't. Uh, right. So there we go. <laughs> Um, I, I, you know, a nice, easy listen. I like sprinkling in these songs when I'm listening to like an FM playlist. Yeah. And, uh, otherwise, you know, I mean, I'll probably give it a listen every once in a while. Glad that I covered the album. And as usual, I like finding good stories. So there you go. Excellent. Good work today. What do we got? You're, you're, you're pulling, uh, you're like the, 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 the donkey of the show. You're a pull, pulling a big load. <laughs> In the next uh, next week, you're 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 leading the way. Next week, what do you got for us? We're gonna jump ahead to the future, uh, not to the yeah, past. Our most recent album. Yeah, the, the past from now, obviously, but in the future of this one, uh, we are hopping forward to 2003, and we are talking yeah. about another rock and roll album. We're talking about Permission to Land by The Darkness. Oh, uh, that's I'm so excited, and uh, what a great album. And yeah, our most recent release that we've covered to date will be uh, Permission to Land by the Darkness. Can't wait to cover it and uh, see what kind of uh, juicy facts you've come up with. Uh, so we will see you all in a week. I'm uh, Slip with Five Eyes or Slip. I'm at Megamix.com, all one word on Twitter. And we'll uh, see you next week with the darkness. Good night. Peace. Peace.